virgin all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a Leicester leave it late at Sheffield United, Vardy the hero again, can Leicester build and win in the Europa League and go through as group winners. This and the Brighton game this weekend, on for Fox sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby in For Fox Sake HQ and Rob in For Fox Sake HQ. Actually, no, sorry, I'm in one. You're in two. What's going on? Uh, I'm dazzled by the uh, the Christmas lights that are on show in the main For Fox Sake HQ. I wish I was there with you to see them. Unfortunately, not. Mine aren't even up yet. I was going to do it this weekend, but then just didn't get around to it. I think tomorrow evening it's on the agenda, but I'm glad you're feeling very Christmassy. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't actually done that yet because hasn't everyone put theirs up early? I was going to, I, I normally wait until say the 10th or whatever, but this year of all years, sod it, I put it up on the 1st and uh, no, it's it's looking alright. There's a few few background noises, you know, from next door banging and clattering around, but never mind. It's, um, it's all good, it's all rosy because Leicester won and we've hopefully gotten over what turned into a bit of a blip really with the results in Europe and the game against Fulham in the Premier League but we've recovered and we've beaten Sheffield United two goals to one late goal by Jamie Vardy a Vardy special kicking the hell out of the corner flag as well which was quite amusing and and the reaction to it has has been quite amusing as well so there's plenty to discuss we've got the AEK Athens game on the horizon Uh, we've got tales of horrendous shopping at the Leicester City shop by me we've got tales of woe of the fancy football league again by me Uh, I thought this was going to be the week again still not top bit of a clue there really to what's happened but uh, anyway we go straight into the Sheffield United game. It's been a couple of days. We've let the dust settle and the fragments of the corner flag settle. And we've only gone and done and won a game in the Premier League, Rob. 2-1, Vardy late goal in a game which was, when you look back, an incredibly interesting game from a Leicester's point of view. Not so much Sheffield United. I think we'll st- let's start with Sheffield United, actually. The, the club where you are surrounded. If people don't know, you're up in Sheffield, no longer in the Shire of Leicester. And they are a very odd side. They're exactly how I thought they would be. And that hopefully I put across in the previous podcast. They are extremely limited. The goalkeeper's terrible. And they just have no creativity at all. I know they scored. I know they scored from a corner, which is not hard against Leicester. But they just have nothing going forward. And if Leicester, as we got further on into the game, into the second half and late on, my overriding feeling was surely we should be beating these. Because these are, yes, not going to get turned over, I think, by teams. But they're extremely limited in what they can do. They are. And ultimately, that's why they're bottom of the Premier League, isn't it? I think the Sheffield United that we're seeing now is probably the one that most of us expected to see last season. You know, last season was obviously way beyond 
their expectations, probably even in some supporters' wildest dreams. Um, and you know, I know I know that from from first hand experience, sort of living in an area which is, you know, it's kind of half and half really. Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday, but I do know a lot of Sheffield United fans, and and they were absolutely buzzing off of last season. And why would you not have been? Um, I think last season they were riding the uh, on the momentum of getting promoted into the Premier League with, you know, a style of football that wasn't necessarily particularly uh, widely used at the time, shall we say. And Chris Wilder's done a fantastic job at the football club, dragging them up from League One. Um, a supporter that I work with said to me yesterday, he said that Chris Wilder has done uh, what several managers failed to do in, in, in being able to unify the club, the players and the supporters who... Uh, from what I can gather, were quite estranged. They they, they felt uh, a lack of connection with the club for a while, um, and and you know you sort of the loyalty of some supporters is tested when you're a little bit lower down the, the football league, um, especially a club that's a, of a of a decent size like Sheffield United, and it, I think that's something that Leicester City fans can relate to as well. You know, you look back at the the days in the Championship where you know I will remember them very well, Pete. The the times under you know Craig Levine, that kind of thing when. It was all you could do to finish outside the bottom four in the championship. The League One season, not so much. Um, I think that was more like a holiday. We enjoyed going to some grounds that we might not necessarily have previously visited or probably uh, will have very few opportunities to do so again in terms of watching Leicester there. Um, Sheffield United's period of time like this has probably gone on a little bit longer or has certainly been more recent than ours. So it was nice last season to see them in the Premier League unified fan base everything going well but I, I i just think the momentum and the and the they've run out of steam really and some people will say that the the clubs have found out how they approach matches and have been able to counteract that but they did the same thing for 90 minutes for 38 games last season and if if teams haven't worked it out with all the analysis that they do these days then then the analysts need shooting to be perfectly honest with you i don't necessarily think it's that I think they've just run out of steam, run out of ideas, and until they put together back-to-back victories, they have long forgotten what it's like to win a football match. And and it showed uh, in the game on on Sunday afternoon. Um, although we made, I wouldn't say we made hard work of it, but obviously we needed the the goal in the last minute of normal time to secure the win. But and it's easy to say that now in hindsight, forty-eight hours later, but we were by far deserved winners. Yeah, we were. We start with the side that Rogers picked. It had Perez in from the start, and that was a surprise. But then again, with the the results that have gone, it's no surprise that there was a change. Uh, kind of a 3-4-2-1 scenario. Perez and Madison, they were, they were much narrower, noticeably narrower. And again, with all that is said about Leicester, you do have to acknowledge the opposition and how limited they were. So it would be easier for Leicester to implement these changes, bring in Madison inside, bring in Perez inside to support Vardy. Then you've got the the width being provided by, on one side, Justin, and on the other side, especially uh, by Mark Albrighton against the side where you can play him as a wing-back and there's no problem with him going backwards, essentially. it's He's almost playing as a winger or as a as a, a, a wide general midfielder, if you know what I mean. In, in say, a 4-4-2 scenario, just that wide midfielder, there's no 
there was nothing really he had to worry about in terms of getting back. And it worked perfectly in the first half. I thought Leicester were fluent. They were comfortable. It reminded me of Leicester from the beginning of last season. And it, it just really helps when there is support for Vardy. Those little triangles with Perez, with with Madison, with Vardy, and then the help that they will get from Yuri Tillemans, who was slightly deeper than if you go back to those games last season, the role he's been playing. And then there's help out wide. There was always the ball to Albrighton, who was out wide, getting balls in into the box. And when he was doing that, there were players in a central position. There was Perez helping out Vardy. Uh, there was Madison, who was getting into the area as well. There was actually support for the number nine. It, it was... It, it was amazing, and it was simple, but it was effective. And Leicester completely dominated that first half, absolutely dominated. Hit the post well a couple of times. Uh, a good finish by Perez. He went for power after a good piece of control by Albrighton. And, well, and then we get to their goal from, from a corner. But overall, in that first half, I was really impressed. And it, it just shows you that and I've been wanting Perez to be playing. I think he's he's our nearest player to Jamie Vardy that we've got as a centre-forward away from Kelechi Inacho, who's not going to start. He just generally isn't going to start. They like him as an impact sub. Maybe he's the one player who would then replace Vardy, so it's an obvious thing to maybe not play both at the same time. But there we go. Some people might think, well, he can play both as... In the same side, you look back at goals. Uh, I seem to remember him being slipping Vardy in for the goal at Aston Villa last year when Vardy made a bit of a mess of it and then, then taps it in in the win in the Premier League. Just an example, really, of what he can do. But it, it really adds an awful lot to Leicester's game. And then you look at that side and you add Ricardo in on the right and you add uh, on the left a Castagna or even even just in there, or or maybe Albrighton still on one side because he can always cut back onto his right foot, etc. And and it just adds to Leicester going forward. Now I know you need the cover going back and the team to be quite solid, but it was just like the Leicester of old, the Leicester of the beginning of last season, the Leicester that we know, and the players who weren't in the side. I don't think that those missing are players who can't play in that formation or in that style with the two being narrower and the width being provided from the fullback positions. I just I don't understand why it's not been employed, especially you go back to the game against Fulham at home. When you look then at the forward line, if you were going to play, say, Barnes, for example, he can be nearer to Vardy. Not a problem. In fact, he has been like that in, in many times this season. Uh, if you throw other names in there, it, it won't be a problem. It would help someone like Dennis Pratt, if he was playing in that role, to be more central, to be up closer to Vardy. He's a very good passer of the ball. He can interchange with players. He can drop back to play where Tielemans is if Tielemans wants to go further forward, which would actually be ideal, really. It's a very fluid formation. It just works a lot better, and they looked a lot more comfortable. Yeah, I think recently we've we've kind of been bemoaning the lack of width really in this formation when you play a three at the back and you play wing backs who are predominantly full backs you know whether it be Thomas and Justin or all Brighton really has not kind of got the 
the um, natural pace and direct, directness of a winger. So we were bemoaning the fact that when the ball did go wide to those kind of players, it wasn't really going anywhere after that. But I think that that is because Barnes in that kind of formation sometimes gets a little bit lost and, and similar to Dennis Pratt, really. You know, Madison's always the kind of player that's going to go and look for the ball, regardless of where you play him. He still maintains that he's a number eight. I don't think he's got the, the physicality for that. I think he's better slightly further forward in the number 10 role. But he'll always go and fetch the ball. If he can't get it higher up the pitch, he'll drop in deep and, and he'll make something happen. I think players like Barnes and Pratt recently in this formation, particularly against certain op- opponents who are set up in certain ways, just lost their way a little bit. So I think it was a, a genius stroke by Rogers to bring Perez in for this game because we've questioned many times on this podcast, is Iosi Perez best as a winger? Is he best as a sort of number 10 support striker or is he best as an out-and-out number nine? And And this formation and the position that he played against um, against Sheffield United, kind of knitted together all three. And and he said in his post-match interview with Perez that he was very comfortable there. His remit was to support Vardy, so as, as a secondary striker. It was to get on the ball in the pockets of the space, uh, pockets of space between midfield and defence. So that is his number 10. And then he was still being asked to sort of fill in in a defensive role and, and make sure that there was enough cover maybe dropping into a midfield five when necessary, possibly if all Brighton drops back into a more orthodox right back without the ball and Perez tucks in on the right-hand side of midfield. And and that's the kind of winger job in him. What you get with Perez is he'll always try and make things happen. He'll work hard. So you put him in a, in a formation where he's responsible from an attacking point of view, but he's also, you can trust him to put in the shift to be responsible from a defensive point of view as well. He didn't really have to do that against Sheffield United, but we saw his positivity from an attacking point of view. Does it always come off? No. Does he have games or even you know periods of weeks and months where it doesn't quite come off? Yes, and that's what makes him a less effective player overall for Leicester than that, somebody like a Madison. However, against Sheffield United, he was in what I would say... On, ev- on that evidence is his ideal position uh, and he got himself on the score sheet which he was tasked with doing and I totally agree with you Pete it was so refreshing to see Vardy with so much support especially when he was running the channels and he was a little bit wider how often have we seen under Brendan Rodgers really and, and managers before like Claude Puel seen Vardy get the ball after we finally decided to put one in the channel for him to do what he does best and play on the shoulder and get defenders turn around facing their own goal and then he gets the ball in an inside right or inside left position and he looks inside and there's absolutely nobody there. Didn't happen against Sheffield United because Perez wanted to get in the box. Madison was pushing on as well. Um, and I think going forward, players like Barnes, Under, Pratt are going to struggle to get their way back into the side because it was such an effective formation for us in what was a... Very positive first half performance. Yes, we conceded from a set piece. We haven't got many players over six foot. And I, th- I think the, the argument ends there, really. There's no further discussion point other than we've got a, sh- a bunch of short asses playing for Leicester. Um, but overall, we were in control. Those two goals, those two balls, uh, the, the the width of the post away from going in. Uh, and, and you look in, in cruise control. Obviously, it was only 1-1, but a, a very pleasing and positive start to the game. Yeah, it was. He's that kind of uh, jack-of-all-trades, kind of master of none, really, isn't he, Perez? 
And that role, it, it really does suit him down to the ground. He dropped away in the second half, as Leicester did. I, I think from the uh, discussing their goal, the height issue is a real problem. Uh, you've got no Soyuncu in there. You've got no Wilfred Ndidi, which is... How many times has Wilfred Ndidi headed the ball away from the corner? He's that kind of floating player... Uh, in the penalty area, who will then head the ball clear. There is an issue. There really is an issue with defending set plays. Uh, a lot of it is to do with height. Uh, essentially, one of their better headers of the ball was being tackled or being marked or being um, identified as a threat by someone like Yuri Tillemans, who's not going to win that header. There needs to be a bit more of a discussion regarding that. And Sheffield United could be one of those sides who are going to punish you. But there we go. Man on the post as well. How many... When I was a promising goalkeeper, Rob, back in the day, um, front post, back post, and then get your big men on their big men job. Not done, but that was basic. And I know there's a million and twelve ways of doing things, but how many times, if there's a man on the post does a goal get stopped from a free header from a corner or from a header happens all the time but anyway that that will always be a bugbear of mine and um and we go in at, at, at 1-1 but a very comfortable 1-1 now it did drop away second half quite markedly as well and there could be a thousand and twelve reasons for that i don't think there's any specific reason i think overall um in the second half you've got the substitutions made, and I wrote down on my uh, notes on my phone regarding who I would bring on. And I've got uh, Wilfred and Didi coming on for Mendy, and I've got uh, Ian Acho coming on for Iosi Perez. And that's exactly what happened. So we were both kind of singing on the same hymn sheet there. Purely because I thought Vardy needed more support in the penalty area, and I don't think Leicester were going to which ultimately actually happened with the, the goal for Vardy, um, create a, they never looked like they were going to create a goal um, in that sense of a counter-attack, of a through ball. It just looked like it wasn't going to happen. It looked for me that they were going to win by maybe the ball falling in the penalty area and, and Ineacho would have been the, the essentially the best person for that. He came on, didn't really do an awful lot. We just needed a bit more presence up top. They were quite a Leicester. Um, we didn't have as much possession in the Sheffield half as we had in the first half. And we didn't really create any clear-cut chances, even though in the first half, I know we hit the post a couple of times, but there wasn't any real guilt-edged chance. Their goalkeeper never really made any you know, fantastic saves. Um, it, it was just more of a possession-based um, attack in the first half. That didn't happen in the second half. I... I do still think that when we are dominating play like that, it's 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 frustrating that someone like Tillemans can't play further forward to join up to the attack. If you go back to, say, the Southampton game of last year, which I know was a very easy game to look at, but the way that Tillemans got towards the box in the penalty area to finish off chances, that doesn't happen with him playing deeper. Now, whether Wilfred Ndidi playing in the side means that Tielemans will ultimately just start to venture further forward. I don't know whether that will be a good thing overall for the side against better opposition, for which there are going to be 18 better clubs in the Premier League than Sheffield United. That's really what I'm saying with this game. It might just be a bit of a one-off against really weak opposition, but I think he needed to get further forward to maybe help out. And the main reason for that, and the main point I'm taking from this game, is the display of James Madison. I thought he was overall 
Um, desperately poor, really poor. I thought his crossing was abysmal. It's his set plays from any area, corners, from deep line free kicks, uh, was poor. I thought his possession passing was poor, i.e. just laying the ball off, keeping a move, uh, a move going. I thought his um, creativity and strength was poor. And in a game where Leicester had an awful lot of the ball, especially in that first half, it really would play to the strengths of Madison. And he's just off his game at the moment. Now... To balance that, he did have one moment, and that was a glorious through ball for Vardy's goal. So you look at the game in a hole and go, wonderful assist by Madison, Leicester win 2-1, Vardy goal late on. But overall, there's a bigger picture to play. He is off his game. I, I'm not saying I wouldn't play him. It's just an observation, really. He needs to work on his dead ball situation, which I think he admitted afterwards as well. But um, he's not playing well. Is he the sort of player who can just turn it on one game and then go on a run? Of course he can. You know, I would still play him. But he needs to work on that because in this formation, if we're going to be playing or in this style with narrower forwards, especially against someone like Brighton, I would play exactly the same way. Exactly. Um, at the moment, he's keeping out Harvey Barnes. Now, that seems weird for me. Uh, Harvey Barnes would be in my team. But those four or three positions... Iosi Perez, he's got one now. Vardy's got the other. And the other is James Madison. He can't play in that number eight role, like you said. I agree. So it's him. Well, that means that Barnes is on the bench. That's why Cengiz Under's on the bench. So he needs to play well to get his position in the side. If he's dropped from the side, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't want him to. But he needs to start to perform. And... I would actually play him on Thursday against AEK because I think that would be an ideal game for him just to get a bit of confidence, even if it's just from a dead ball scenario getting confidence. I think he needs to play and he needs to get get a get a grip, really, which I know that, that might sound harsh, but yeah, he needs to get a grip. Well, he's wearing the number 10 shirt at Leicester City, who are currently a top four Premier League side. He's a player that has made... Uh, that he's 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 been very clear in his intention to push to try and get into the England squad, uh, and at the moment he's absolutely nowhere near. He's he's a million miles away. He's a million miles away from the best that we've seen him in a Leicester shirt. I think your observations, Pete, uh, are echoed by thousands of Leicester City fans that you know from from reading social media, from talking to my mates, and and my my opinion as well. I, I share the, exactly the same one with you. I think earlier on in the season we had a few excuses of the fact that he hadn't had a full pre-season. He was struggling with the odd niggle here and there and he wasn't up to match fitness. But look, we're 11 Premier League games in now and countless other cup and European matches. There are no excuses and there is nowhere to hide, particularly in a game where you have 70% possession. If your main man in terms of creative possession, James Madison, doesn't particularly play very well then there's huge question marks there. And, you know, he's going to find it difficult to keep his place in the starting lineup because Ayose Perez did his chances no harm whatsoever with a, a decent performance and a goal. Barnes is absolutely knocking on the door because he can make something happen out of nothing. And yes, you would argue that Madison managed that once and it, and it set Vardy through for the goal. And that's that's the quality he possesses, but that's the frustration as well from um, from a fan's point of view is the fact that he clearly can do it, so why can't we see it more often? 
the dead ball thing's really frustrating because, you know, interviews on Football Focus, Soccer AM, everything, talk all the time about how much of a perfectionist he is, how many hours he spends practising on his own in the training ground. Well, I'm sorry, but I am not seeing any evidence of the old practice makes perfect um, saying coming into James Madison's game at the moment. His corners are terrible. Yes, we he needs to try and put pace on the ball because we don't have great height in there if you're hanging one up or looping one up. But his his deliveries are poor at the moment and he is struggling to affect games in the right way. He waited a beautiful ball through for Vardy and I'm taking nothing away from him uh, for that. I, I totally agree. Keep him in the side. Give him another run out on Thursday. See if he can get some um, confidence back into his game um, because a confident James Madison and a James Madison that's performing 8-9 out of 10 is one that makes a huge difference to our side. He's failing to do that on a regular or consistent basis at the moment. And the, the issue is when you look at Barnes, right? I don't think Harvey Barnes is really... If you look at this season as a whole... And who has impressed you the most out of, as you said, a side fourth in the Premier League? Harvey Barnes would be towards the top of many people's lists. He would be mine. A very, very exciting player. And he's not in the side. I don't know why. I, I, I think there is something else behind the scenes. and More than likely to be maybe a bit of a niggle. Okay, he's not um, maybe 100%. It doesn't seem like that when he plays. But if that's the case, then okay. But if not, then he's not in the side and it's being taken by a player who is out of form, who needs to perform better. And he needs to work on, as you said, his debt ball scenario was terrible. And you mentioned about the lack of height in the Leicester side. And I mentioned last week about having the, the Fafana in terms of first goal bet, 33 to 1 and all that sort of thing. But that was... a. a it's not just a, oh, he's, he's never scored and he's going to be a big price, etc. But he is that one player. When he goes forward, he's got a great leap on him. And how many times, I know he at the bar, but how many times has he got rid of his marker and not quite connected with the ball, whether being too high, too short, whatever. And I, I think he can score plenty for Leicester from dead ball scenarios. And with there being a lack of heights going forward, I would have thought that they would have worked on picking out for Farner or picking out Johnny Evans. And that dead ball delivery, yes, trying to whip it into the near post at a flat trajectory, so you're going to flick the ball on or win the header at the near post and score, that sort of thing. Great, but if it's not working, just get the ball in the centre. You know, aim for the penalty spot, go for the percentage call, and try that. It, it just seems, and I know it sounds really basic and really simple and really obvious and, and, and a slightly old-fashioned way of looking at things, but it is infuriating. But also, when you look at the opposition score a goal like they did, that was no whipping delivery to pick out a specific player. That was no um, specialist dead ball scenario that they've worked on in the that was a general delivery to an area of the goal which was going to be attacked by two to three players. If it was slightly shorter, then player A. If it's bang on in the centre, exactly how planned, it's going to be B, which it turned out to be that way. And if it's slightly deeper, there's a player in behind. There we go. That's the scenario. Get rid of your man who's being marked. Job done. Now, there's a thousand ways to take a corner, but 
it, it just seems to me that, that there are other ways to do things. Now, to counteract that, he then lays the ball through for Jamie Vardy. And it, and it was fantastic. A brilliant ball. And, and, and possibly a delivery... I well maybe it's just me, but I maybe didn't give enough credit to initially, and it's only watching it back today, in fact, that I've appreciated how much of a how good a delivery that was. The weight of the ball was fantastic. There was no gap really to play it. Why the defender didn't bring down Jamie Vardy, no idea. But there you go. It's um it was a fantastic pass. But overall, we need a fit and. Playing well, James Madison, for many things in the side, highlighted by the poor performance on Sunday, but then the good performance through the through ball. But the problem is with me, he's keeping a position in the side where there's players who I don't think deserve not to be playing, and they're sitting on the bench. Yeah, Barnes is an interesting one. It might well just be that the fact that they they decided they wanted to play more narrow in this particular formation, and... Barnes can sometimes, if he's if he's inside or in a tighter position, can sometimes look a little bit lost. He hasn't quite got the the quick feet, or he's not quite astute enough technically in in small spaces. Uh, certainly not so much as as a Madison and a Perez anyway. Uh, and Barnes does most of his damage when he's running at players, and you don't very often get an opportunity to do that from an inside forward position. So maybe if you're playing a three four three where you're wanting your forwards to be. Um, a little bit wider on either side of Vardy, maybe rather than slightly um, slightly behind him. Maybe that's Barnes' best role, and they decided against Sheffield United that they wanted to keep Madison and Perez in in more central positions. It might be that. It might be a niggle. It might just be that um, Perez has been pushing for a start, and Madison got the nod over Barnes, and and that might change next time uh, next time out. But. It's it's a good thing, I, I guess, that somebody like Barnes, who I think has been in good form this season and is and is starting to add more goals to his game, um, under who can be unpredictable in good and bad ways as well, but is sitting waiting on the bench. Iheanacho is affecting games more often for Leicester than he has done previously. I wouldn't say he's anywhere near the level still that we need him to be, but he can still do a, a decent job. It's a good thing that these forward positions are so flexible with in terms of the formation and the, and the role that they can play but also we've got so many people waiting in the wings to pounce should someone play uh, below par so we move on to AEK in the Europa League a game which Leicester on paper should win and if they do they top the group which means when we go through to knockout stages you've got Champions League sides dropping down into the Europa League etc etc and it would be probably more than likely beneficial all round. Now, who do you go with? I mentioned Perez from the start. It would be nice to keep to give him a chance to, to, to go on a goal run. Because I think having someone up top there with Vardy scoring regular, which we have had with Barnes, but he, he needs further support. And also, if Vardy wasn't going to play a game or be taken off for any certain reason, then you do have that option then of, moving Perez into a, a central position, a number nine role, which he can play. And so I would play him. Now, whether that's from the start, I think they might still go with Vardy, actually, depending on how he is, whether they decide, hang on, let's go straight with Vardy from the start, get in front, and then maybe take him off at half-time. I think, I think that decision 
is probably 50-50, whether they go, actually, no, we'll go with Inacho, he's played well in Europe, uh, he'll have support through Perez one side, and, and then the other side, maybe Barnes, or or maybe Under, or are they going to rest Perez and, and say, look, you, you've earned your starting role for the game against Brighton, which again, I would start him for. Um, and we're going to go with the the pace. We're going to go with Under on one side, and we're going to go with on the other side Harvey Barnes with um, a number nine in the centre, Kelechi, or or maybe Jamie Vardy. It, it, there's 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 so many scenarios, and and the thing is, you're playing against a side who at the start of the Europa League competition uh, looked to be a fairly useful outfit. Well, that's kind of dropped off a cliff in terms of their European performances, at least, and. Uh, and they're a side where I don't think they'll take lightly Leicester. But if they do decide to go with the perceived weaker side, the European side that has been played in a few games, um, I wouldn't then criticise that if it doesn't work out on the night. Okay, I think that that would be still a legitimate team to put out. I know it's a very important game to win or to, to, to do better than Bruges, but I think... Um, I think it's still an opportunity to play a change side. And and if that's the case and it doesn't work out, fine, because they could still play their first team and lose or draw and not get the result and not finish top. I don't think that would be uh, uh, any slight, really. I, I just think I would go with a Perez uh, up top. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Vardy starts. It's got to be balanced between making sure that you're looking after the players physically, but also if there's a player in form... Uh, like Perez, for example, who's been out in the cold for a while, comes back in, starts, gets a goal, uh, and you know is substituted so he didn't play the full ninety. Somebody like him would be ready and raring to go again, and, and will be itching to start again. And and I think you're right. I think it would be a positive move to start him um, once again in in a supporting role, possibly even as as the main striker. You've got to look at the the upcoming fixtures following the the game against Athens because yes it'd be nice to finish top of the group and in theory a lot of the time that would get you a more favourable uh, draw in the knockouts but ultimately we've still qualified and we did that with a couple of games to spare so we used the Zoria Lahance game last week which was pretty poor as those of you that listen to our podcast will know we kind of watched the second half as we recorded um, but we used that to bring a couple of players back from injury uh, and I know <laughs> Very with varying success, uh, I think indeed he's the only one that came through unscathed, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him start on Thursday night. Um, but you know we've got games. Then we've got three games in six days. Essentially, we've got uh, Brighton on the Sunday, and then uh, Everton on the Wednesday. So, really, the difference between finishing first and second isn't huge in the Europa League. The it, the the focus surely has to be on on maintaining our very strong start to the Premier League campaign, and if that means that certain players don't uh, don't appear uh, and don't go with the match day squad on Thursday, they'll obviously still be at the King Power watching. But if that means that several first teamers are left out again, then I've got no issue with that. Like you say, Pete, we, you could send the full strength side um, on paper and still lose the game the outcome of the game against Athens isn't particularly important and it could be used uh, in a highly positive way to get some more minutes in competitive football through Ndidi, to get Perez to try and uh, 
build up some kind of momentum and, and run of form. Um, you get players like Barnes and Under, who would probably both have been a little bit um, miffed to be out of the starting lineup at the, at the weekend against Sheffield United. It gives you those kind of players that are hungry to come in and start. Uh, less opportunity to change things around at the back, obviously. But, you know, it, it's good that we've got this interchangeability and, and it's got to be for the best interests of the points tally in the respective competitions, which is why I think that there should be several first-teamers left out of Thursday again, because how much would we be bemoaning a Vardy injury against Athens in in the game that didn't really mean a lot, and he misses your games against Brighton and Everton where he, well, he's, he's crucial in every game for us, but where he could make the difference as he did against Sheffield United on Sunday. So I think we've got to be a little bit careful, really. Yeah, and the, and the players who came back from injury, we know Soyuncu. It might not be a as serious as many people might have feared when he came off. I still think he's then going to be quite... Yeah, quite a quite a few weeks away still to make any kind of second return. Uh, someone like Ricardo Pereira, they, they're saying about ten days added on really, and it's no great surprise for a player who's been out for so long like him that they tweak a groin or normally it's the hamstring, isn't it? It's slight, slightly tight hamstring, whatever, when you've been out for so long, what, nine months or so. Um, so it's no great surprise there. Castagna hopefully as well. By the time we get to those kind of central games of that run you mentioned Everton on the Wednesday then on Sunday away at Spurs looking maybe towards that Spurs game you got United Man United on Boxing Day Palace away on the 28th and then you go New Year's uh, well the day after New Year's Day uh, the second away to Newcastle and then the FA Cup third round so maybe those latter games you may be looking at the likes of maybe Pereira etc coming back in but who knows when it comes to the injuries you know they chop and change by the uh, by the day and hopefully it won't be too long so yeah i i, I do take your uh, your point there and and the more i think about it i think that they they probably will rest vardy i don't think they will um start him but um yeah it's it's a game where whichever side as i said before whichever side Leicester put out it's going to be very disappointing if they don't beat um AEK. I, I, I just I just think it will be a very disappointing way to, to end the group and it will be um Braga who's on top. I said Bruges, didn't I? That's a that's the wrong competition. But uh, Braga who who will ultimately finish top and what you don't want then is a slip up to then result in a, a big boy, even though it would be great to play against some of the big sides in Europe who maybe are dropped out of the Champions League. But you, you do want to go as far as possible. I think most fans, especially with the fact that there's more chance than not that fans won't be going to the game, even though this will be, what, late-ish um, February, I think it's like 18th or something, the first leg of the, the knockout stage, and you know, there's probably a more than better chance that uh, there still will either be, what, 2,000 max, and maybe away from home, we won't be going to you know one of the big clubs. So it's probably best if we get a, a small side. Because we want to win the competition, after all. We're in it to win it. The Europa League, yes, it's been a bit of an adventure, but we want to win the competition. And the side's going to chop and change, depending on who's in the Europa League squad as well, which will also be then readdressed afterwards. And then you start to look further forward for... 
who Leicester might bring in in the tra- January transfer window. Who do we need? Um, do we take lessons from previous transfer windows and not maybe buy in when you're in a good position, etc.? And that's all to come. There's plenty more podcasts before we get to that stage. But just to kind of link in with those players who could possibly play, because there are a number of players who have been performing very well for the under-23s for quite a few years now. And there was an interesting stat put out. This is from Jordan Blackwell, who works for the Leicester Mercury. And uh, and he says, his stat, that there's a run of 87 games that were ended uh, with the game at the weekend in which Leicester had fielded an academy graduate. Now, more circumstance than not, the fact that um, Chowdhury... Barnes, Dewsbury Hall, who's been playing very well, man of the match week in, week out for Luton, it seems, and say Thomas as well, weren't involved. So, yeah, there are players at the club who could have kept that run going. So it's it's not like there's any dearth of youth players coming through. But there's a number of those players who can then be added to the Europa League squad, to be added to the Premier League squad because they've developed way beyond the under-23s. And that's something uh, maybe for, again, another show to highlight maybe one or two or three players who, when it comes round to picking those squads, could be added to uh, to the specific squads, especially in this season of all seasons when there's so many fixtures. It's an interesting stat that I didn't I didn't realise, and it, it, it's a it's a positive one in terms of uh, bringing through homegrown and academy players. It's something I think that Leicester fans have always been and and should rightly have always been proud of is the fact that. I guess historically we haven't had the financial clout and the and the sort of standing in the transfer window to to buy all of the players that we need. But the academy's always been a very strong setup and uh, and it's always very, I think, very wholesome for supporters to see somebody from Leicester who is an actual Leicester fan wearing a Leicester shirt and playing for them. Like you say, I, I think it's circumstantial that 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 this particular run has has ended. Because Barnes could very easily have have been a player selected for the starting eleven, or could very easily have been brought on, um, should Brendan Rodgers have decided to to bring a bit more sort of pace and directness to the attack later on in the game. So he could very just as easily come on as as not. Um, yeah, the squads will be interesting. There's other players on the sort of periphery. Um, senior players like Damari Gray and Islam Slamani will they still be here after January? Will they get named in the Europa League squad and, and be used in that competition where where they're less likely to get used in the Premier League, for example? The other question you've got to you've got to ask is when you get to the knockouts and you've got uh, less margin for error, do you put more priority onto those games than you would the Premier League games? Because obviously this game on Thursday against Athens is is by the by really um, for reasons just mentioned if we win great we finish top of the group if we don't we're still through uh, and we've got a lot of other matches to focus on in a short space of time between now and Christmas but when it becomes a knockout format uh, and when you start taking little steps closer towards being at the right end of the the competition with a trophy in your sights be interesting to see how their focus shifts. I don't think it's something that necessarily we need to particularly discuss right now, but it will be interesting when we have these conversations in a few months' time. Uh, if our opinion changes, um, and you know whether Brendan Rodgers' opinion changes, and we'll be able to see that through the approach. But because it is a winnable competition, it's not what it's one that we've thoroughly enjoyed playing in. 
okay, we didn't, we've not got played any particularly glamorous sides and we haven't been able to go to places like the quarry uh, away at Braga, but it's still been a bit of an adventure. Um, but realistically, you look at all the clubs in it and, and we're competing right in the, the upper top four of the Premier League. So why on earth should we not go all the way and win it? So priorities may change, but right now it's got to be on getting six points out of the next two Premier League games following the Athens game and doing what you need to in the Athens game to avoid um, causing yourself any undue concern before those league games. Yeah, just back to the, the the stat regarding the academy graduate. When you've got someone like Ben Chilwell, for example, who would qualify as that, he's going to be your left back through for all those games. You know, you're looking at the best part of just over two seasons here. So it it can be slightly misleading, but we know the likes of say King Chilwell, Chowdhury Barnes, Dewsbury Hall, Thomas. That there is plenty, and and it's full credit, especially in this time when if you haven't seen the news about Birmingham City, for example, what a mess of a club. It just shows you what can happen with clubs the way that they brought through Jude Benningham and then sell him for mega, mega money to Borussia Dortmund, uh, retire his shirt, even though he only played, say, 20 games or whatever, I don't know exactly, but it can't have been many, really, for them. And they then decide to scrap their academy. which <laughs> sounds absolutely ludicrous, but there we go. Almost as ludicrous as remembering that Islam Slamani's actually played a game of football for less than this year in the Premier League itself. How mad does that sound now? I mean, it was mad at the time, but absolutely crackers. And there has been transfer speculation regarding Damari Gray being linked with Tottenham. And I wouldn't be surprised if a club looks at him and go, well, he's got, say, six months left on his deal or whatever. Let, let's get him for next to notes. I think it would be... Uh, I, I think Damari Gray... The chance of Damari Gray being at Leicester come the start of February or whenever the end of the transfer window is, is very slim. Very, very slim because he just seems an obvious player for probably 12 clubs in the Premier League. You're looking at clubs. Southampton, you could see him fitting in well there. You could see him fitting in at any club all the way further down, including Sheffield United. He, he'd be playing 90 minutes every single day of the week there. So I can't see him sticking around at all. But uh, it was a slight surprise to see him linked with with Tottenham, but there you go. If he if he chooses to move on, then, then good luck to him. But um, obviously something's happened there behind the scenes. So, uh, But I agree with you. With all these games coming up in the Premier League, it is a, um, it's important. And that's why it was so disappointing, the result against Fulham. Uh, it's important for Leicester not only to get the points, but also to get over what's become a bit of an issue, and that's the home form. And we've got Brighton now at home coming up. And regardless, or not regardless, but obviously with the game in the in the Europa League first, who knows regarding the side that will start then against Brighton, injuries permitting. But it's the evening game on Sunday against a side who, I think everyone kind of likes Brighton in the way, the way they play football. But overall, Leicester should be overwhelming favourites. And Brighton shouldn't really hold any... any um, Anything to Leicester that should really be scared of. They should be wary. They should be wary of how they play and how they can keep the ball. But I just think Leicester, overall, you go through the side 1-11, to they are just generally a better side than Brighton. They are quicker. They're sharper. Um, and I am very confident of a Leicester win. And I'm very confident regardless of who they play. I would like to see them play with the two narrower forwards, whether that will be Perez and 
and Madison, for example, whether they play Barnes, who knows what could happen against the AEK. Maybe someone scores a hat-trick and gets an obvious start then against Brighton. But I know I was confident against Fulham. But you look at Brighton and I can only see a Leicester win. And you then go on to the game against Everton, Tottenham away, Man United at home, even Palace away. And, and and Newcastle away and I look at all those games and I worry more about the opposition than I do against Brighton at home and that's no no disservice to Brighton whatsoever but watching their game against Southampton they they just seem to me to be a side on their day they can cause problems but overall I think if Leicester are at it then they should and there's no divine right to win a game of football but they should get three points and it will be a very important three points with those games following in quick succession it should be a win I'm just looking back at Brighton's previous uh, results back to sort of the beginning of November they got beat 2-1 by Spurs 0-0 draw with Burnley which sounds like a thriller on a Friday night Uh, 2-1 win over Villa 1-1 against Liverpool you know they're not the kind of side that gets turned over which I think when when um in previous seasons, really, Brighton have tried to play a footballing style, a much more attractive style, particularly since Graham Potter came in. Uh, and they were a little bit soft, I think, to begin with. But those kind of runs of results where it was either level or won by a goal or lost by a goal suggest that they are more capable of keeping things a little bit tighter. The Southampton game was a bit of a, a, a VAR farce, as as many of them are these days. Um, did they deserve to win the game against Southampton? Probably not. It could have been another draw. So it's probably not going to be one of those that we absolutely run away with. But I, I agree, if if it's a case of two sides trying to play football against each other, then really, with the personnel that we've got, and the way the formation against Sheffield United seemed to be more cohesive, you know, if you can replicate that against Brighton, there's absolutely no reason why it can't be another Leicester win. Um, Brighton have got the odd goal in them, so and and you know, sort of sitting on the fence really in terms of their recent results. I, if I had to predict, I'd go Leicester two one against Brighton. Yeah, I was thinking along the lines of two nil. That was going to be my uh, my correct score prediction. Obviously, going to go with Fafana then first goal. But uh, I, the um, you mentioned you mentioned about that uh, VAR decision. What a mess. What a mess that was. The referee, free kick, edge of the box, obvious free kick, obvious at the time and and to many on the replay, apart from maybe two people in the whole world, um, that it was outside of the box and then they they fell into the box. No problem, VAR, penalty. What a complete mess that was. I don't know whether it was shown on the big screen in the the ground. I think that might have been the case. I I was working at the time, so I had the pictures but didn't have any sound, so I couldn't really... Uh, find out but it, it, as I said it's, it's a cheap imitation of what should be VAR it's not fit for purpose and it was another another well another mess complete mess and, and hopefully there's nothing like that but a similar mess at the moment is the um, shirt scenario down at the uh, at the football club. I don't know whether anyone listening has tried to purchase a football shirt recently. Um, we held a, a competition only a few weeks ago, and uh, good old Bruce, if you're listening, uh, he's still waiting for his shirt because uh, the maroon shirts, which were meant to be in stock, 
Uh, well, when they turned up on the uh, the morning, I don't know whether they had a backlog of order, of orders, but they sold out of certain sizes straight away. And I went down to the the shop yesterday, uh, and and said, "Well, have have you got any any of the maroon shirts in this size, that size?" And they just says, "No, the the stock's come and gone." I said, "Well, it could not have gone in one day." I was told it would be Monday the seventh, and uh, and they just said, "Yeah, it wasn't a big order. You know, there's problems with supplies, etc., through COVID and all that sort of thing." Which then I went, "Okay, you know, you're not going to argue with someone regarding that." So maybe that is the case. But still, if you've been down to the mega store, uh, th- there's loads of stuff. You know, it's a it's quite a nice walk around to see all the stuff. But size wise, yeah there's lacking even in in gifts as well you know in terms of watches and all sorts of stuff that they, they, they are really lacking so uh, don't be surprised my advice is if you're thinking of something for christmas um leicester based get down to the shop it's all well laid out and in terms of covid with all the uh all the hand sanitizers and all that sort of thing get down there as soon as possible would be my advice and if you see something get it don't hang around because at the moment there's literally the ones on show that's it there's nothing out the back so uh, that's just a, a little uh, a little warning for you but it's always worth to you know a, a trip down there to see what's what i haven't been in the shop in ages i i do miss it i do like walking around you could spend so much more regardless of how expensive merchandise is these days even if it was a, a pound each you could still spend hundreds couldn't you on all the on all the leicester stuff that's in there Poor old Bruce wins our first ever competition thanks to our sponsors, footballkitmarket.com, and still hasn't got his prize. We'll try and get it to you before Christmas, Bruce, if Leicester stock comes back in, I'm sure. But if not, sorry, it'll be a nice New Year present for you instead. But uh, uh, thank you for your patience. Um, Pete, I said last week that moving on to the Fantasy Premier League would probably make you happy, and it didn't, so... Now to make you more miserable, shall we move on to the Fantasy Premier League? Uh, we, we we shall actually, but there is just one thing actually. He won't be getting his shirt until next year. There's no chance of them shirts coming in now. Uh, that, that's that's really the point. Don't wait if you're gonna if you're gonna get something for Christmas or you need something. Then it's gonna be New Year um, at the earliest, essentially, when it comes to those shirts. Uh, just before we we talk about the uh, the Fantasy Premier League, there is one thing because we'll I think we'll finish with the the Premier League. Uh, there is one thing, um, and that's. If you've not seen this, the greatest goal scored in professional and amateur football was scored at the weekend. And it was scored by the mighty Shepshire Dynamo in the FA Vars against Worcester City, higher team, higher league, etc. Unfortunately, no one could have been there down Butthole Lane at the Dovecuts. They were 2-1 down, approaching 90 minutes, and they score a fantastic equaliser. And then in injury time, they score an absolute perler, described as the best goal ever scored at the Dovecote. And there's been many over the years. You remember Martin O'Neill being the manager down there years and years ago. But an, a brilliant goal. I will link it on the uh, on the Twitter, so at FFSPod, the For Fox 8 Twitter handle, at FFSPod. I will also on Facebook, because... Um, I'll put it on Facebook as well. It's just an amazing goal. It's a volley from essentially 30, 35 yards that's just flown in and then just crazy pile on essentially afterwards. But uh, to win and then they're through to the next round of the VAR. So uh, uh, an amazing goal. 
And um, and because it was against higher opposition, Worcester uh, brought a live stream. So there's really good pictures of it, which is uh, which is fantastic. But anyway, none of that nonsense. On to the real thing. Not Leicester in the Premier League, not Shepshire in the Vars. It's the fancy football. <laughs> Okay, the top 10, there's been plenty of changes in the top 10 and we're starting with a move up into the top 10 in 10th place, 678 points. It's uh, John Follows with JFC Leicester up into 9th place, 679 points. It's Joe Healy with Les Dennis up into 8th place, 681 points. It's uh, Ben Payne with Blink One Eto. Uh, down into 7th place uh, with eight, uh, 681 points, it's uh, Humza Yazdani with FC Mordor. Down into 6th place with 684 points, uh, John Almeida with Sagres United. Top 5, down into 5th place, it's Rob Ford, Gardner's Delight, 692 points. Down into 4th place, Vardy's My King, Kieran Ford with 700 points. Uh, equally on 700 points up into third place is Gareth Bell with Bulldogs forever and then in second place with 701 points so only one point more than in third and fourth it's myself with Frank Sinclair own goal and then in first place a non-mover Luke Taylor Taylor made 724 points That is the top 10. So Luke Taylor, 80 points for him. Bulldogs forever. Gareth Bell in third, 86 points. Further down, the likes of Joe Healy and uh, John Follows, 88 and 85 points. Ben Payne, 82. I only got 57 points. I made a massive error. I've got three Man City players and I captained Jesus for the second week instead of De Bruyne. That would have been an extra 14 points. Put me up into the 70s, which would have been... um, really what I should have got but I wouldn't have still caught uh, Luke Taylor so he would have still been uh, what nine points ahead of me but there we go I'm I'm clinging on Rob in that second place but they're they're starting to gang up behind me and as I go down oh Rob 72 points with yeah I did all right I told you I was playing my wild card and and it paid off relatively well I'd after the first couple of days, or well, after Saturday, definitely, I was I was doing fairly well, but you know the the gap shortened a little bit. But I have climbed back into the top one hundred with a very respectable, slightly above average score, um, and I tried really not to be too gung ho with the wild card and and do it just for the upcoming game. But I tried to be a little bit more um, forward thinking than that and a little bit more medium term at least and look at uh, the next few fixtures as I'm sure that's what actual fantasy football players who are any good do um, and I try to pick some players w- whose teams have fairly favourable looking fixtures so fingers crossed it's uh, the beginning of an upturn in my fortunes I just had a look at your score by the way you're incredibly lucky to still be in second place you scored the lowest score in the top 25 of the league That's that's a considerably bad week from your point of view yeah, all right. You know, I mean, it was it was a, it was a one off. Here's here's me rubbing it in when I'm at ninety odd places below. Well, you. yeah, the issue I've got is I've got three Villa players, so there's the entire bench Villa players. I've got um, two centre halves. Not I've got five defenders playing for a start. Uh, two of them didn't, 
Scott Dan and Kilman from Wolves. So two players with no points. Um, Salah, 14 points. De Bruyne, 14, should have really been 28. Uh, they scored me the points. And yeah, it to be honest, it could have been a lot worse. You look at the average, which was 62, 57 points. Yeah, not great, but it could have been a lot worse. But um, just looking at next week's fixtures, so if I go to pick team... Um, yeah, next week, again, doesn't look great for me at all. I think, uh, looking at that, either the, Man- the Manchester derby needs to be about 9-9 or um, Mo Salah needs to score a hat-trick because he's going to be the captain away at Fulham. I think it's going to be down to Liverpool players and also maybe um, Watkins and Grealish with the uh, the Wolves away because they're looking quite poor Wolves at the moment, so uh, they're missing Raul Jimenez. But anyway... That's the fancy football, all that nonsense out of the way. Hopefully, next time we talk, we will be uh, through as winners of the Europa League group and we will get three points against Brighton and who knows where we will be in the Premier League. We have that game against Brighton on the Sunday. Uh, Then there is the game against Everton on the Wednesday and then Spurs on Sunday. So again, we'll aim for the podcast early in the week um, to then preview the games against Everton and Tottenham and we'll look back at, at Brighton and AEK Athens but obviously with all these games coming up with Christmas etc fingers crossed that's the plan but uh, who knows what could happen um, this side of next week hopefully six points eh Rob <laughs>